This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Joyful Courage, a conscious parenting podcast where we tease apart the challenges and nuances of parenting through the adolescent years. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and adolescent lead at Sproutable, where we celebrate not only the growth of children, but also the journey and evolution that we all get to go through as parents. This is a place where we keep it real. Real stories, real parenting. The teen years are real messy and there aren't many right answers. But the more we trust ourselves and trust our teens, the better the outcomes can be. The parenting we talk about over here is relationship-centered. You won't find a lot of talk about punishment, consequences, or rewards. What you will hear is a lot of encouragement about connection, curiosity, and life skill development. Our teens are on their own journey, and while we get to walk next to them for a bit, we don't get to walk for them. Their work is to learn from the tension of their life. Our work is to support them and love them along the way. I'm so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hey, listeners, I am so excited. You're in for a treat. I have two guests on today. My first guest is Jean Chatsky, and she is the founder and CEO of HerMoney.com and the coaching program, Finance Fix. She is the host of the podcast Her Money with Jean Chatsky and the co-host of the national radio show Everyday Wealth. The financial ambassador for AARP, she was the financial editor for NBC Today for 25 years. Jean is an award-winning journalist and broadcaster, a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and a fierce advocate for financial literacy. Her latest book is How to Money, a guidebook for Gen Z women. My other guest, Catherine Tuggle, is Chief Content Officer and Gracie Award-winning Editor-in-Chief at Her Money Media. She is also co-author of How to Money alongside Jean. Before joining Her Money, she spent two decades in business journalism where she helped launch the Fox Business Network, 
and wrote and edited for Fast Company, Inc. magazine and The Street, among others. Catherine is actively involved with the Native American Journalists Association and enjoys teaching and practicing yoga. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. I love talking about money. Start with telling me your motivation for writing How to Money. Where did that come from? I think Catherine and I were both looking for a way to help younger women not make the same stupid mistakes that we made. And I'm not speaking for her, by the way. I'm speaking for myself because I made them all. You know, we were not really taught how to handle money. I know for me, I came out of college. I racked up about a half year salary in credit card debt. I botched my first attempt at a 401k. I spent more than I had. I mean, it was just, it was an ugly period in my life. And as I watch young women coming out into the world today, when they've got so many headwinds facing them, I just like to help them along. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science, but somebody needs to teach you how to manage the basics so that you don't end up a complete and total ball of stress. Yeah. What about you, Catherine? You know, I think that your teen years and your early 20s are the moments when you have the most opportunity to make mistakes in a lot of ways because you don't know what you don't know. And I think about when I first got to my college campus and I was approached by largely predatory credit card companies trying to get you to sign up for every card under the sun. I didn't know to negotiate for my first salary. I never asked to be paid more money than what I was offered. And I feel like we wrote this book as a guidebook, not only to help women and young people be more successful with their money, but really to help them avoid making some of these mistakes that could cost you thousands of dollars. You know, we are asking young people these days to make decisions that we were not asked to make, right? Before they graduate from high school, we're asking them how many tens or hundreds of thousands in student loan debt do you want to take in the next four years, right? And that is something that is going to stick with them for decades. If we can just get in the middle of that loop, if we can insert a conversation or two in the middle of that loop to help them make better decisions, it's going to make a big change in their adult life. Yeah. When I think about student loans and credit cards, I'm totally relating to you, Catherine. And Jean, like I remember being, it took until my senior year of college to get lured in. And I was like, oh, all I got to do is fill out this form and you're going to give me a little card that's going to let me spend whatever, quote, whatever I want. And man, that went quick, right? So much so that I got another card to pay off the first card. (laughs) And it was just, nobody had talked to me. I mean, and it's interesting too. I came from a family where there was wealth. And, but there was no teaching at all. I had an allowance and I had a certain amount of money that I could spend. And my, you know, the biggest lesson was moderation. But what does that even mean? And how do I navigate that experience? And I'm watching my kids do the same thing right now of like, I have money. I want that. I want that right now. So I'm going to get that because I have the money to get it. And then, you know, a few weeks later, oh, shoot, I was telling you before I hit record, I don't have enough money for gas before my next paycheck. And it's like, hmm, 
but damn, those shoes look good on your feet, babe. Okay. You know, so I'm really relating to this. And I feel like as I felt as a young person talking about loans and credit cards, it felt like fake money. It felt like monopoly money. It was such an abstract experience. And as a 20-year-old or even like a 16-year-old or a 25-year-old, you know, we aren't really good, really skilled in that age to look ahead at, well, how am I going to feel at 30, 35, 40 if I'm still dealing with this thing that I used, you know, in my short-term mindset that now is something that I'm continuing to pay off. So I'm excited about this conversation. Yeah. And the thing, Casey, is like, we're not even good at it as adults looking ahead, right? Like we are such creatures of impulse and I want it now. And, you know, we write a lot in the book. Catherine wrote these great sections about Instagram and just this. Oh my God, I'm such a sucker. Right? Buying it for the gram. How does Instagram know exactly what I want? <laughs> yeah. I know how so they it's, know. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's it's not something that we're born to be good at, but by understanding a little more about how our brains are wired, we can help ourselves be a little bit better. Yeah. Well, even the last, oh, it's been probably six or seven years, I've worked with a finance coach. And all we do together twice a month is look at my budget. I use You Need a Budget app. Mm -hmm. And just the fact of looking at the money on a regular basis has increased my ability to save, to create buckets for different things. It's not that we now have more money. It's that I'm paying different kind of attention to it. And it's such a small thing that's made a really big impact. Where do you see the gaps in families around teaching about money? I mean, I'll start with my own gap, which was that I was very well educated on how to get a bargain, how to navigate a thrift store, how to grow your own food in a garden, and how to budget and really how to make that day-to-day flow work. But when it came to investing and the concept of compound interest, And the concept of starting early, the concept of saving for retirement or negotiating for a salary, those topics were never discussed for me. And I think that a lot of parents, I'm from rural Alabama, and I think that particularly in the rural South, I think there is a lot more emphasis on your personal day-to-day economy and what that looks Mm -hmm. like to be a good steward of your money day to day, to not live frivolously. And I love that. I love that guidance. But I think that a lot of women in particular are not taught to step back and look at the bigger picture and look at, okay, well, this is fine day to day. I got my $8 thrift store dress and I'm going to kill it in my interview with my $8 dress. But what about an IRA? What about a 401k? What about demanding to be paid what I'm worth? So, you know, those are the topics that we really try to double down on in the book while also still giving a nice overview of the budgeting basics and the not spending beyond your means basics. There's still this bifurcated way that I think we look at money when it comes to men versus women, right? Even surveys of how parents are 
teaching their boys differently than they're teaching their girls that have come out in the last couple of years continue to just drive me up a wall because they show that, yeah, we are teaching our girls how to manage a budget and not always very well, right? I mean, to your point, Casey, the very first thing I do when I'm coaching somebody is do what your coach did with you. You know, Mm -hmm. I make them track their spending. And they have that amazing eureka moment where they're like, oh my God, look at how much I'm spending on pets and I'm not going to do that anymore. And now I have back control and that feels incredible. But to Catherine's point, saving money is not going to make you rich. It's putting the money that you save to work and Mm -hmm. growing it and investing it and taking the amount of risk that you're going to take that you need to take in order to make that happen, those skills are still being taught to boys more than they're being taught to girls. And that really has to change. And so we really put an emphasis on that. Hey, friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season, and this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 
20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Well, and when I hear you say things like compound interests and IRAs and 401ks, like full transparency, I would not be able to sit down with my kids and explain what those things are. I mean, I know that I, my husband has retirement. Like we have things that I can't explain. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only parent out there who's like, oh shit, I'm supposed to be explaining that to my kids? I don't even understand it. Where are places that, so your book is an amazing resource. I'm guessing your podcast probably is a really good resource as well. Where are places that parents can go to educate themselves to better educate their kids around stuff like that? the hard stuff. We actually just had a guest on our podcast uh, discussing this very topic, Bobby Rebel. She is a certified financial planner and she is the author of Raising Financial Grownups, which is a book that dives into this exact topic on how to make sure that you're raising kids who know how to adult, that you're instilling in them the right expectations and the right instructions. And Jean and I had a question the other day that said, you know, what do you do if your kid gets a summer job, but then they don't save any of that money for college? And our answer was like, well, did you tell them that that was your expectation that they're saving for college? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you can't take anything for granted as a parent. And I think that most parents know this, but you can't assume that your kid has the skills or the knowledge or the understanding to be looking three years ahead or five years ahead. And that's where you got to sit down with them and have those conversations. So funny you said that because I feel like I'm constantly being reminded by my 16-year-old like how I use language is not useful to him. Like suggesting, I think I come at things like suggesting, hey, you know, the dishwasher's full and you have some time before you go to work. And he looks at me and he's like, so do you want me to empty the dishwasher? <laughs> like, just say that, right? I think there's a lot of places where we make assumptions that our kids know what we think or what we expect. And if we haven't been explicit, like you're saying, you know, we can't be frustrated in the end that they didn't get the memo, right? So I really appreciate that. I think too that your comment, Casey, about I couldn't have this discussion with them about an IRA, that scares me too, right? A little bit, because what if something happens to your husband? right? Do you know where everything is? Do you know where the documents are? Would you know who to call to get a handle on that? Well, in my house, I'm in charge of all of it, even though I don't always understand the fine print. So in our relationship, I'm this much better, like two inches better at the money stuff than my husband. So it falls on me, but still with a lack of understanding, right? Right. And I think that, look, there's no shame in this. Nobody taught us how to do this. And I've been a reporter like Catherine's been a reporter long enough to get over any smidge of embarrassment that I ever had about asking any question, right? I mean, I will sit on the phone with a source and, you know, I come at this, I was an English major, right? I will sit on the phone with a source and say, just back it up three steps because I don't understand. You're going to have to explain it to me in English. You're going to have mm -hmm. to take it again. And let's take it again because it's my money that you're talking about. That's really important. I need to get this. And so if your listeners, if some of them are in that position where they're not understanding, 
you know, their own financial lives. That's a problem that needs to be solved too, in order to help bring kids along. And, you know, if you've got a partner who's handling everything, then try to handle it with them for a month or Mm -hmm. two so that you just are in the loop. Yeah. I love that. I think there's, and I know for me for a long time, because it was overwhelming, you know, it was really easy to just stick my fingers in my ears and la 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 la. I don't understand it. So I'm not going to deal with it. And then doing the work that I've done with my coach, it's actually really exciting. It's not as complicated as we all think it is. And then it becomes exciting because you, the possibilities open up with understanding. So I love that. So You know, I mentioned to you before we hit record that my people are parents, mostly parents of adolescents. And so, you know, I'm sure some people are listening who, you know, have started some money conversations with them when they were little, while others are, you know, looking at their 15, 16, 17 year old and their summer jobs or lack of desire for a summer job and recognizing, oh my gosh, they don't know the value of money. They don't appreciate all the things that we're paying for. And so, where do you start? Where do you start with this teaching? Where is a good opening with our teens? I don't think kids understand money until they have money to manage. Mm-hmm. I think they have to be put in a position where they've got some money that's theirs and they have to make choices about how they're going to use this limited resource of theirs. So if you're talking about younger teens, you're really talking about an allowance or the ability to do chores around the home that you pay your kids for. Be careful there because you may have a kid who is not really motivated by money and you want to make sure that you get the money into their hands. So, you know, your son could decide, I don't really want to empty the dishwasher because I don't care about the five bucks or whatever it is. And you may have to tie it to something else. but We start by putting money into their hands along with a list of things that now have to be paid for with their money. So if it's video games, if it's manicures, if it's gifts for their friends, because boy, when they get to mid-teens, they want to buy their friends a lot of stuff. If it's, you know, gas for the car. I mean, the amount should go up as they get older, but it should never be enough to cover so much of everything that they don't have to choose. It should be, Mm -hmm. it should only be enough to force them into the position that adults are in every single day where we have to decide, am I going to go on the vacation or am I going to renovate the kitchen? We have to choose constantly and then they have to work. You know, you said your son is going off to work. That's awesome because I'm sure you've had this experience where their money is so much more valuable than your money. And Mm -hmm. what they're willing to use their money for is completely different than what they're willing to spend your, you know, free money on. And so those two things combined will help your kids become better managers of money as adults. I have a funny story about paying for chores, which I wasn't planning on doing. And I'm a positive discipline trainer. And it's, you know, part of our philosophy is like we do chores because we live together and everybody gets to be in contribution. And so when we started an allowance, my daughter, my daughter connected it with chores. She was like, oh, good. We'll do our chores and you'll pay us. And I'm like, oh, let's explore that. And so we did that for a while. And my son, and he was little at the time. 
I remember being like, hey, babe, you know, you got to clean your room because Sunday night is allowance night. And he looked right at me, right at me, Jean, and said, it's okay, mom. You don't have to pay me. I don't really want to clean my room. And I realized, oh, right. That's why we don't connect allowance to chores. Now, as they got older, there were extra things that if they wanted to earn extra money that they could do. But as far as like household contribution, that was just what we did. And we created routines around that. And yeah, and now he has both my kids are working and my daughter just started paying some bills. And I feel like I'm a little late to the game on that, but we're getting there. And it is, it's that tension. I want them to feel that tension of choice and of thinking, spending now versus will I have what I need later? And you're right. The only way they learn is when they have it to play with, when they have it to spend, when they have those moments of buyer's remorse, right? Or just realizing like, darn it, now I can't do the thing that I want. And I think there's something there, listeners, I know you're with me on this. There's something there for us as well to be willing to sit with that with them without being like, oh yeah, you know, you were really looking forward to this. I'll just give you 40 bucks so that you can go be with your friends. So I think it's also a big practice for parents to allow for that disappointment, that discomfort, as our kids are learning to be with that tension and sometimes in that place of regret or disappointment. Yeah. You bail them out. It's over. I know. It's so hard. It can be so hard. So we start with, you know, making sure that they have something useful to play around with. And then So I know, too, another thing that shows up, and not even in the context, just the context of money, but in lots of different places of life as our kids move through adolescence, it's very challenging for parents not to tell them how they're going to feel if they do a certain thing. Like, oh, you might not want to do that because here's what could happen, really robbing them of the experience of living through what can happen. What tips do you have for parents around, you know, the unfolding of kids' in the tension of having money and spending it as they do and making mistakes? I mean, one thing that I think is a good way to approach this is by entering into money conversations from the angle of what you know your kid wants and likes and is into and appreciates. You know, a lot of kids are little activists. You know, maybe your best inroad is to talk about the philanthropic power that their money has. And you guys can start working together to do donations. Maybe your kid wants to start a jewelry selling business on Etsy. So you can have that conversation with them about what it's going to cost to buy raw materials and how they're going to market their business and the money that it's going to take for them to get that business off the ground. A lot of kids also have very lofty goals of going to an Ivy League school or going to their dream school. And they are very well aware of the price tag on that school. I think we shouldn't just assume that that all kids are immediately going to be bad with money because I know a lot of them who are extremely conscientious with their dollars. Mm-hmm. So I think you find that thing that you know that your kid is really passionate about and you go from there and you make them see that, you know, we say at her money, life is the topic, money is the tool. You make them see that money is the tool through which they are going to accomplish all their life goals and that it's not Mm -hmm. scary. It's not bad, but you earn it and you use it. And here's how you can use it in a way that is going to make you happy. 
Do you have any, so like I mentioned earlier, I use You Need a Budget. I use that app. I love it. Do you have, are there apps that are more geared toward, what? I mean, it's pretty neutral, but are there apps that are geared towards younger people as far as learning about saving, budgeting, giving, all of those things? There are, but I have to say, so we have a big private Facebook group at Her Money and our Mm -hmm. Her Money community is obsessed with You Need a Budget. They just love it. so awesome. They just love it. Now, there's a price for YNAB, as the insiders call it, right? It's not free. (laughs) It's not expensive. It's not expensive, but some are, you know, Mint is free. I mean, quite frankly, you can use your bank's online interface to keep yourself honest. That's what I do on a day-to-day basis. I look at my money all the time. Mm-hmm. And watching it that way helps me monitor my flows of funds. And my budgeting mechanism is just to save first, right? So I do it backwards. I save for all my bucketed goals first. And then whatever's left is really mine to do with as I please. Mm-hmm. So there are different ways to get yourself into this. Digit, I think, is also a not free, but What I like about it, particularly for younger people, is that it gets you to the wins fast. Digit is an app that actually saves for you. You link it up to your accounts and it goes into checking and moves money to saving for you using a smart algorithm that doesn't allow you to overdraw your accounts. I had my kids using that for a little while and they were like, oh my God, look at what a great saver I am. And they were not really doing it. The app was doing it for them. And so that might be helpful. Well, and I'm realizing, I'm thinking about what you mentioned, Catherine, growing up in rural Alabama, which sounds pretty dreamy, growing your own food, hitting the thrift stores, I'm down with that. And I'm realizing this conversation is we're talking about budgeting. And what you had mentioned was those bigger ways of using money from the start. So let's shift into that. And I admitted to my own ignorance here. So, you know, thinking I have a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old. My 19-year-old went to trade school and she's a working esthetician trying to move out, which again, like you can talk about Ivy League school tuition or you can talk about the cost of rent, you know, both of which are like pretty I mean, where I live, we live in Bellingham, Washington, and it's pretty expensive cost of living. And so, you know, she is feeling that tension. And so, so how do I start talking about investing in compound interest with the kids? I really am curious about that because I feel like I can even create their own, you know, because I do pay for YNAB. They can have their own budget on my YNAB. You know, I can show them how to use that. But what you're talking about, really keeping the eye on the prize, well, the prize, I don't know if it's a prize, but keeping your eye on the long term. What does that conversation sound like with our teens? Yeah, I mean, I would go back to what I said about those initial conversations, trying to find something that your teen loves and is passionate about Mm -hmm. with money. I think that that is exactly the case here. I also think that they're learning from you. They're starting from zero. So whatever you tell them is the default, is what is needs to be done is hopefully what they will do. You know, it's like, just like the standards that you've set for them over the years with chores. Do they have to make Mm -hmm. their bed every day? Do they know that Friday they have to take the trash out? In the same way that you've established those rules and parameters as the adult in the household, you get to do the exact same thing with their money. 
you get to say, and you know that 15% of that paycheck has to go into an IRA, right? You don't give them another option. Mm -hmm. You keep that dialogue open, but you act as if like, this is just what smart people do. And we're going to make sure that you do it. And I'm going to help you set up that first IRA. And you're going to see really soon how your money in the market is going to be working for you. And the move that you just made today is going to ensure that you can retire early. And I am so proud of you for taking that step to take care of your Mm -hmm. financial future. You know, shower them with praise when they do it right. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's up to you to set that out for them. And it's interesting because there's a lot of research on who kids listen to about different things. When it comes to money, they listen to their parents right? The parents are the people oh, that they trust. Wait, say that again. Say that again for the people in the back. They listen to their <laughs> there parents. There is something to listen no, to it's us true. Yay. <laughs> That's who they listen to. And so I think the problem is with us that we don't have the confidence to give the messages in the way that Catherine is saying, right? Mm-hmm. That we need to understand we can just say, this is the way you do it because we know this is the way you do it. And if we don't know that this is the way you do it, that's when you just take five, you read a story on her money or in the Wall Street Journal, and then you say, oh, this is the way you do it. Mm -hmm. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So just a quick question on the whole IRA conversation. Let's just get nitty-gritty with this. So if I'm going to have a conversation with my kids, Well, one part of my brain is saying like, well, this would be a great thing to be side by side and say, let's figure out how to open an IRA for you. Is that something they do with their bank that they're already using? Is that something separate? Do we have to shop around? Like, what does that look like for those of us who might not know, myself included? They can do it with any brokerage firm. So 
It's not something that they're going to do at their bank, but it is something that they could do at a fidelity. And they can sometimes do it at a bank if they have a brokerage window, but a Fidelity, a Vanguard, a T. Rowe Price, an Elevest, if you're into a firm that is dealing with women and helping women, mm-hmm. a Wealthfront or Betterment or Robo Advisors. It's so easy. You sit down, you don't have to go anywhere. Let's open this account. We sit down in front of the computer. All of the sources that I just mentioned are low cost sources. So you go online, you pick one, you open an account and you say, and look, you are getting paid this much on a regular basis. Every month you're making $100. How great is that? We're saving 15%. So every month, Betterment is going to reach its little electronic hands into your checking account and pull out $15 and move it over here and invest it in this portfolio of generally stocks that they're picking for us based on this questionnaire that we just filled out in the last five minutes. And then your money is going to grow over time. And it may go down a little bit before it goes up. Mm -hmm. And then it may go up for a while and then down a little bit. But historically, we know this money is going to keep growing. And as you get paid more, once you're making $200 a month, we're going to tell it to take 30. And once you're Mm -hmm. making 300, we're going to tell it to take 45. And we're just going to do this forever. And the kind of IRA that we're opening for you, because you're so young and you've got so much time, is called a Roth IRA, where you pay the taxes on your money first, and then you never have to pay taxes on this money again as long as you live. Done. Is it something where they need to have a base amount to start? They need to have an income to start. Okay. They have to be earning money. You can contribute up to about 6,000 a year into an IRA and you need to be making as much as you're contributing. Now, you know, they're not going to want to put in the whole 6,000 if that's what they're making, but a lot of these firms have no minimums. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good to know. I'm just thinking about the conversations that I get to have with my kids. This is great. So how does compound interest fit into this? Just because you brought it up earlier (laughs) and I'm limited in my understanding. Yeah, I mean, so this is a trickier one and we spent a lot of time noodling over how to showcase this in the book. But I think that Mm -hmm. a really good way to approach it is to show them bad interest and good interest and how it accrues over time. You know, so at the same time, you're telling them about how the value of their investments in the stock market will continue to grow over time. You can also talk about how their credit card balances, if those are not paid off in full, are also going to grow over time. So interest is a very fascinating thing. And depending on which side of the equation you're on, it can be a very good thing or it can be a very bad thing. And you want to be on the good side. You want to be on the side that has an investment that is earning money. You just set it, forget it, and you just watch it grow over time. And ideally, you'll have an employer-sponsored plan or an IRA yourself, and you can pull out a statement and say, you know, look at what I put in last year, look at what my employer matched and look at how much money I have earned over time. And I haven't even had to think about this. It's just happening in the background. My money has been earning money while I sleep. And I think, you know, kids love a shortcut. Kids love to hear that something can be easy, that something can be Mm -hmm. just happening in the background that they don't have to think about. What I'm really appreciating about all of this that both of you are sharing is that it's really normalizing. We're normalizing conversations around money. And I think that some of us maybe 
were raised where we didn't talk about money, whether that was because there was limited amounts or because there was abundant amounts, does, you know, either or conversations around money and even out in the world, like, I mean, in the circles that I run in, there's not a lot of conversations about money. And it's almost like demonizing to speak into, like, I want to make some money. Like, I'm ready to make some money, right? And I want to save and I want to, you know, invest and grow in our wealth. And I love that starting with our teens, we really get to change the conversation for them and make it something that they don't have to have any shame around striving for and asking for and working towards. So I'm really appreciating that as well. In your work around this book, did you find that there was this kind of hidden, we don't talk about this vibe going on around money? Or even in your work with the podcast, I mean, you're blowing it up, right? This is your work. (laughs) It's normalizing this conversation. What do you notice about the people that you're talking to when it comes to talking about money? It's getting better. It's definitely getting better. And I think it's getting better with every younger generation. My daughter knows how much all her friends make. And I think, you know, that's great, right? That is like the last layer of secrecy salaries, right? Mm -hmm. And the internet is helping us too. If you wanted to know how much somebody paid for their house, you used to have to ask them. Now you just go on Zillow and it's Mm -hmm. right there in, you know, under your fingertips. So it is getting better. It's getting more democratic. I think even this idea that it's okay to say, I'm ready to make some money now. I'd like to make some money now. I want to get paid what I'm worth. It doesn't have to be shameful, particularly because the only way that we can change the world, you know, whether we want to do it by starting companies or whether we want to do it by giving money away is by having enough money to do those things. So I like to say that getting paid is good and getting paid more is better. Yes. I love that. I'm so excited to listen to your podcast on the regular now. Thanks. So some of us have kids that are getting ready to leave the nest, whether that's, you know, going to college or moving out and living on their own and being, you know, employed or both. How do we set them up? You know, what are some tips you have for setting them up for financial success? You know, we've covered a lot already with discussions about retirement and budgeting. But something that always comes to mind for me was an experience that I encountered my first time as a manager. One of my employees right out of college comes to me and says, hey, Catherine, I'm going to need a raise because my rent just went up. (laughs) And I had to tell him, sweetheart, it don't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) I love you and I appreciate you. And I'm so sorry that your rent has gone up. But, you know, let me show you how we can together work to make a case for all the amazing work that you've been doing because raises are merit-based. And this goes back to what I was saying about how as parents, you can't take anything for granted that your kid knows that it's a good idea to save or that your kid knows that it's a good idea to opt into the 401k in their first job. They also don't know that they have to start writing down their accomplishments in their first job that they have to make Mm. a record of all the good things that they're doing and the change they've been able to affect. Even if that job is menial, even if they are a lifeguard or a nanny, they need to keep a running record of all the amazing work they're doing so that when it comes time for them to earn more, they are able to present a factual, eloquent case for why their earning power should increase. Oh, my son is a lifeguard. 
This is his first job. So I'm excited to point out and help him discover all the skills that he's building in that position. I love that. Anything else that you would add, Jean, as kids leave the nest? I think going back to that, where is my money going, is really important as they leave the nest because their money is so much more invisible than our money was when we left the nest. When we left the nest, we would pull cash out of the ATM, maybe use our credit card. And that cash went very quickly and it was very quickly for some of us. (laughs) Yes, very quickly. It was hard to recreate a sense of where it actually went. It would be gone and you would be like, how do I no longer have that money? But now they're Venmoing, they're tapping, they are swiping, they're just holding up their phones and the money is vanishing as quickly as that. And that makes it really harder to control the flows of their funds. And so they can do it on pencil and paper, they can do it with an app, but they should be paying really good attention, especially the first couple of months to where they're spending. And I love, and I know you cover this in the book, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about this as well. I was a sociology major. (laughs) I don't really know what that means. And I didn't even declare it till I was nearly a senior, but that was my major. Those were the classes that were interesting to me. There was no thought in my mind back in the early 90s around like, what am I going to do with this? Or how is this going to serve me? It was really, again, that present moment. This is what's interesting to me. This is what I'm going to study, mostly just to get to the point of being done with college. And then I was going to, you know, travel and go be a bartender. What do kids need to know and parents in their conversations with their kids about college majors and how to connect that with potential job searches after or during college if it's an internship or something like that? To bring it back to that student loan discussion, because most kids do borrow for college. As I said, I was an English major and I kind of knew I wanted to be a journalist. It took me a little while to get there. But I think kids probably have some sense of I'm going to be a computer person, engineering person, finance person who makes a lot of money, or I'm going to be a marketing journalist kind of person who doesn't make a lot of money or makes relatively less. And that's something that's really important to know when you think about how much you're going to borrow and where you're going to go to college. The choice of a college in and of itself is a huge financial decision because if you can choose a college that wants to have you and is willing to give you some sort of merit aid, you're going to end up borrowing a whole lot less and your life is going to be a lot easier when you get out. And so there are just a couple of metrics that I think are really helpful to keep in mind. One is that you shouldn't borrow more than you expect that you'll earn in your first year out of school, right? Wow. So it's a very different number for somebody who's going to work on Wall Street than for somebody who's going to come work in journalism. Or a teacher. Or a teacher, exactly. Yeah. The second is that for every $20,000 you borrow, you're going to have to pay back $250 a month for the next 10 years. So right now, on average, kids are borrowing close to double that on average, So 40,000, so they're paying $500 a month. Right, so think about $500 a month and that's after tax, right? 
that you have to pay back? How much money are you going to have to earn to both repay that loan and not live with your parents? Right? So these are the sort of reality checks that parents need to be having with their kids Mm -hmm. in order Mm -hmm. for their kids to be able to launch effectively after college. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, we covered a lot. As we wrap up, I'm looking at the time. I have a million questions. I have totally 100 personal questions that I won't ask you, but I'm going to listen to the podcast and continue to read your book. As we wrap up, by the way, everyone, the book is written for the kids. The book is, I just want to make that clear for all of the listeners, the book that Catherine and Jean wrote, which is How to Money, is written for adolescents, young adults. But as we wrap up, is there anything else you want to make sure to leave listeners with as they kind of consider all that we've covered today? So, you know, to your point, Casey, I would say that this book is really for anybody who needs the basics. And we have heard that teens are reading it, but we have also heard that 20-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds are reading it. And in some cases, parents are going back for a refresher before they try to teach their kids. And I really think that to your question about how the dialogue around money and the mood around money is changing in this country, I think one of the ways that it's changing that I'm most encouraged by is how there's no longer any shame in asking Mm. these questions. And I also think that there's a renewed perspective from parents, like just because I wasn't born with a trust fund, just because I don't come from wealth, doesn't mean that I can't set my kid up at 19 with an IRA that is going to turn them into a millionaire by the time they are 60. Just because Mm. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth doesn't mean that I can't ensure that my child knows what a brokerage account is and knows how to pick stocks and knows how to watch the markets. So, you know, I think more people are looking at money from a holistic standpoint. And I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing from parents who are giving their children the tools that they never had. And I love to Mm -hmm. see that. Mm, That's very encouraging. And I think what I hear when I listen to you talk about that, it's really about broadening who gets to be in possibility, Mm -hmm. right? Like that who gets to create wealth and who gets to build their financial foundation. And yeah, there doesn't have to be barriers to that. That's what I'm hearing there. So thank you. And I love Love your focus too on really uplifting and encouraging women and their financial literacy. Like I said, I'm encouraging all of you listening to check out Her Money podcast. I will be doing the same because we can all get better around this. So I have one last question that I ask all of my guests, and that is what does joyful courage mean to you in the context of the work that you do? To me, it means saying what I want to say when I want to say it, Um, which is a lesson that I learned somewhere around my 50th birthday. I decided I was just going to not be scared anymore. And when I have these thoughts and I express them, they inevitably make me feel either happy or relieved. And both of those are really Mm. good things. Yes. I'm right around the corner from 50. So I'm already feeling that like, oh, I like this. Yeah. Thanks, Jean. What about you, Catherine? In the context of what we do at Her Money, for me, I think it is about embracing your seat at the table. 
and embracing Mm -hmm. your power in money conversations, because for centuries, forever, women have been shut out of money conversations. And now we're not. We have a seat at the table. We have the education. We have the tools that we need to change our financial lives. And we can do it with courage and we can do it joyfully. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, both of you. Where can people find you and follow your work? I am at Jean Chatsky on social. Catherine is at Catherine Tuggle on social. You can find us both on the Her Money podcast as well as at hermoney.com. Awesome. And your book is there? We can get your book there? Yes. You can find links to our book, How to Money. And we also do two newsletters a week where you'll get personal messages from me and Jean. If you go to hermoney.com backslash subscribe, we would love to have you there as well. Yay. Yay. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today. This was really informative and fun. I appreciate you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Casey. All right. Thank you again for listening in to another show. Please check the show notes for any links mentioned in this episode. If you liked what you heard today, will you do me a favor and share it? Screenshot the show, plaster it all over your socials so that other parents know that we are creating value over here for them. If you really want to earn a gold star, head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. This does so much for the show, for the exposure. It's a great way to give back. Thank you to my team at Sproutable for all your support. Alana, Julieta, I love you so much. Thank you to Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for keeping the show sounding so good. And you, listener, thank you for continuing to show up. This is hard work that we're doing. I encourage you in this moment, in this moment together, let's take a deep breath in and follow that into your body. Hold it for a moment. Exhale. And with that exhale, release the tension. And I invite you to trust. Trust that everything is going to be okay. I'm so happy to support you. So glad to have spent time with you today. I'll see you next week. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly. Your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was 
steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking